Well, grab your Bibles and let's go to the old part of the book, the prophet of Isaiah chapter 9. If you've been around a while, you know that I love to preach on the biblical text narratives that deal with the incarnation. I have a lot of messages, 20 maybe, maybe more, probably more because I've preached through it so many times. But even though I've dealt with this section that is the prophecy of the Emmanuel child uh, many times, this is a brand new message. I just started meditating on sections of it some weeks ago and put this together. I think it'd take two installments to cover this together. I've entitled this, Unto Us a Child is Born. Unto Us a Child is Born. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, just two verses, verses 6 and 7. The prophet writes to Judah, the godly remnant, King Ahaz, their king, and he says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now in contemplating Old Testament prophecies, we must not take that narrative, that prophecy, and run off with it with no consideration for what it meant to the original audience it was given to. Something I learned in graduate school was that when looking at Old Testament prophecies of Christ, you must know there was a meaning for the people of that day, even though the ultimate meaning is in Christ. So we'll talk about in this introduction, and I've given the introduction the title, the godly remnant is terrified and the Emmanuel child prophecy unfolds. The godly remnant is terrified and the Emmanuel prophecy unfolds. So there's almost always a temporal partial fulfillment of, of prophecy for the time it was written even though there's always the ultimate full fulfillment in Christ. And you need to see both to understand and get all that God has for us. Now in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 in this three chapter or so uh, text that deals with the Emmanuel child, God said to King Ahaz in Judah, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Well, I don't have time to unpack everything that could be unpacked, but the word for virgin is a word that in Hebrew usage throughout antiquity almost always meant a young girl of non-marrying age. But in historical documents, occasionally it would be used for a woman who was married who could have children. But isn't that just like God? Because Isaiah's wife had children, and they fit this prophecy, but the full and ultimate fulfillment could only be in Christ. 
So God in his wisdom, through the Godhead person of the Holy Spirit, gave us the word, the one Hebrew word that could give us both. Only God can do stuff like that. So there is a temporal, practical fulfillment of this prophecy for the people to whom it was originally written. Now let's talk about that for a moment. Let's get a broad sweep of the historical context. At this point, Israel is divided. There's the northern kingdom, which represents the apostasy. It represents the counterfeit church. Those who have some religious observance, but are not the real thing. In our day, uh, and I got this term from Dr. John MacArthur, I, I, I agree with him fully. There are a lot of congregations today that are so far from the biblical truth of being a church, we have to call them non-churches. Well, that's, that's what the northern kingdom represents. It has split off, and it represents the counterfeits, the apostate, the non-church. And then, of course, there's the southern kingdom called Judah, headed by King Ahaz. It represents the godly remnant, if you will, the true church. Now, not having arrived, as the text points out, still needing to grow, still needing repentance, still struggling with their faith, but nevertheless... It was God's godly remnant. Now, what has happened is there's great enmity between the northern kingdom, which is just called Israel at this point, and the southern kingdom, Judah, the godly remnant. And the northern kingdom has formed an alliance with Syria, not Assyria, but with Syria to invade Judah, the godly remnant. And they want to conquer Judah, Occupy Judah and take King Ahaz off the throne and put a puppet king in his place. Well, the people have learned about it. King Ahaz knows well about this alliance between the northern kingdom and Syria. And he knows one of their armies is sufficient to conquer them. But now combined together in an alliance, he feels like they're doomed. So King Ahaz is terrified and his people with him as i say as chapter 7 verse 2 tells us when it was reported to the house of david that's another way of saying judah the arameans have camped in ephraim his heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind they're just shaking shaking with fear and, and anxiety what's going to happen to us these two armies are encamped literally at the gate. Well, over the weeks and months, maybe even years leading up to this inevitable invasion of the northern kingdom in Syria into Judah, two very important things have been transpiring. Two very opposing things. Two very antagonistic things. Polar opposites. I'm not talking about one of the things that have been going on as Ahaz's and his people are terrified about this invasion. Then we'll talk about the second one. The one thing is what God's been up to. God, through the prophet Isaiah, has been strongly, I could say continually and strongly, encouraging and warning Judah, do not fear those armies. I am with you, Emmanuel. God is with you. Trust me. Just trust me. 
I am the God of this remnant, and I am with you. And I'm with you not to judge you. I'm with you not to condemn you. I am with you to save you. Trust me. Well, King Ahaz, though, has fallen off the cliff. King Ahaz has fallen into fearful unbelief. But God keeps telling him, and it's throughout the text here, Ahaz, and this is through the prophet Isaiah, why are you worried about the king of the northern kingdom Israel and the king of Syria that's formed in alliance to destroy you? Don't you know the heads of those countries are mere men? Don't you know, and God uses figurative language, don't you know to me they're just a a couple of smoldering firebrands? That's a a log that's been on the fire for many, many hours and it's diminished to almost nothing. There's no flame, no heat left in them, just a little smoke coming up. God says, Ahaz, that's all they are to me. They're nothing to me. Ahaz, God is with you. Trust him. Don't be afraid of those kings. So God does something very unusual. He takes a very unusual approach to encouraging Ahaz and Judah. Instead of God showing Ahaz and Judah something of an outward display of his might and his power and his wisdom, he shows them a sign of seemingly weakness and vulnerability. Isaiah 7, 2, here Ahaz, here's your sign, a virgin will be with child. I'm sure King Ahaz, a baby, doesn't sound good to me. I need need about a 300,000 man army. And God's prophet tells me this baby is my sign. That I have salvation. I have deliverance. And in our text, it's reiterated. A child is born to us, Isaiah 9, 6. A son is given to us. So King Ahaz and the little remnant Judah is terrified because these two mighty armies are literally encamped at the gate to destroy them, to occupy them, to remove the king. And God's choice of a sign is that he will save them. He will protect them. He will deliver them. The sign is baby. Baby. It's a paradox, is it not? But it's powerful. I'll unpack a lot more of this as we get through the actual text next week. Yeah, yeah, God did say my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And in the New Testament, the letter to the Corinthians, if you take man's best wisdom, that's all foolishness to God, then he says it the opposite way. If you could even say part of God's wisdom is foolish, even that would be wiser than the wisest man's wisdom. A baby. That's your salvation. So we have this temporal, practical fulfillment of the prophecy, the child prophecy. 
that a child will be born, and through these children, God will be expressing to you, God is with you. And I'm with you, not to judge you, not to condemn you. I'm with you to save you. So here King Ahaz is. He's, he's pacing the palace grounds. He's, he's wringing his hands. He, he can't be still. And he goes out across Judah and checks his garrisons and his soldiers and his fortresses. And particularly, he's watching his water supply. Because in those days, the quickest way to destroy people is cut off their water. Making sure it's as secure as it could be. He's just worried and anxious. And he, everywhere Ahaz goes, he keeps running into the preacher. Isaiah, God's prophet. <laughs> and Isaiah would, now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm filling in. Some, this isn't in the text. I'm filling in, okay? Isaiah would say, King Ahaz, have you seen my baby boys? And I'm sure Ahaz is, yes, yes, preacher, I appreciate you, and I thank you for what you're doing, but I've, I've got a lot on my mind here. No, no, King, have you seen my boys? Here's my first boy. And his name is Shir Jashub. Shir Jashub means a remnant will remain. That's his name. And everywhere Isaiah goes, he's got this baby boy. And the baby, they say, what's his name, Isaiah? A remnant shall remain. The child, God's saying, I'm with you. You're not going to be destroyed. I'm going to keep my remnant. Isaiah had another child. You'll remember him. His name is Meher Shalal Hashbaz. If you have a son, would you name him Meher Shalal Hashbaz? And so everywhere Ahaz goes, he runs into Isaiah, and Isaiah says, Have you seen my other baby boy? He's just been born. His name is Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Swift to the plunder, speedy to the spoil. That's what that translates as. Swift to the plunder, speedy to the spoil. Here's the message. The remnant's going to remain, and speedily and swiftly, God's going to destroy those armies and make spoil of them. Well, that's what's going on. So, these babies are, if you will, symbols. Children, but symbols to the nation and to the king. God is with us to save us. If we'll trust him. Well, that's one thing that's going on, okay? Are you with me? Don't remember all the details. Just get the gist of it. God's been telling them, warning them and reminding them, trust me, I'm with you. And not for judgment or condemnation, I'm with you to save you. Now, here's something else that's been going on that unfolds in the text. That's been going on probably quite a while. We don't know how long, but that is that King Ahaz of Judah, the godly remnant, has already compromised. He's not trusting in God. He's decided he will put his trust in Assyria. Not Syria, that's another country that's working with the northern kingdom, but Assyria. He's made an alliance with Assyria, the mightiest nation in the world of that day. Read the chronicles of history, including the scriptures. The Assyrians were bloodthirsty, violent conquerors. There's no one they took on that they didn't march right through, like a hot knife through butter. So King Ahaz, instead of trusting God who was with him, said, I'm going to make an alliance with pagan Assyria to protect Judah. 
That's what he did. So, so every time King Ahaz goes out there and is checking the water supply and the fortresses and the garrisons and whatever it might be and full of terror and anxiety, and he sees Isaiah's boys again, a remnant shall remain, swift will be the plunder, speedy will be the spoil of those enemies, believe in God, trust in him, he's with us. He's convicted deep in his heart because he knows he's already compromised. He's already put his faith in Assyria, not in God. So with Isaiah, the the dominoes are falling, but they're falling in their own direction. One thing's building upon another. King Ahaz, rather, if I said Isaiah, King Ahaz is, is in a hole digging a ditch, and he just keeps asking for more shovels. Now, back up in a brief overview. God's continuing to give his remnant Judah through the prophet words of assurance that he is with them. And then we come to chapter 9. And here in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 in particular, the prophet makes an amplification, an expansion of this prophecy about a child, a, a virgin child. And when we get to Isaiah 9, 6, and he gives this expanded version, this expanded explanation of this salvation child. He lays out a description of this great saving person that's coming that can only be fulfilled by a divine person, a divine being. He gives a descriptive of this child now that can only have one possible interpretation, and that is this, that points to Jesus. So not only does Judah have a message through Isaiah's boys relevant for their day, the prophet says, and beyond that, there's coming another child who is really God incarnate. He's the ultimate fulfillment of the Emmanuel child prophecies. He's the final fulfillment of the Emmanuel child prophecies. And this one, spoken of in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, is that child who will come, who will give encouragement and assurance and security to all of God's people and all of God's church of all the ages because he is the son of God, not the sons of Isaiah. I mean, look at it there again. It says, for a child will be born to us, a son given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, no end to the increase of his government or peace. And he comes on the throne of David. He'll uphold it and establish it with justice and righteousness. And it's going to last forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will accomplish this. Only Jesus fulfills that prophecy. Now the others, you could see how Isaiah's boys could fit. But here it makes it clear there's another one coming. Can I say to you, church, this morning, there's another one coming. There's another one coming. He's just not a king among kings. He's the king of all kings. (laughs) He is not just a Lord among lords. He is the Lord of lords. Getting into next week's part of the message. 
Well, we come to that final amplified part of the text where the Emmanuel child prophecy can only point to Jesus Christ. And listen to me, church, and the one extremely glorious truth of the Emmanuel prophecy is this, God is with us. But don't stop there. God is with us. And not to judge us and not to condemn us, but save us. That's what Ahaz should have thought about. Because you see throughout the ages, particularly among the Jews of antiquity, just to say God was with us was not necessarily good news. Because they knew the justice of God. They knew the law of God and the ordinances of God, and they all knew they fell short. So they thought, well, God may be with us to judge us. But that's not what this message is. You know, for context, when Christ returns at the end of time, you know what the world's going to have? God with us. He's going to come back, and God will be with us. But on that day, he will be with mankind in wrath and retribution against all of those who spurned his name and rejected his free offer of salvation. Brothers and sisters, is it not amazing that when men are offered the free gift, God came among us and said, here's a free gift. That when men are offered that free gift of salvation, so many will spurn that offer, will not embrace that free gift, but turn to embrace sin that will enslave and destroy them. The powerful parallel in our narrative of that because King Ahaz and Judah, again, instead of believing in God's free offer of deliverance and salvation, they instead did not believe and trust in God, but trusted in Assyria. And as the Bible narrative points out, the Assyria that they trusted in to defend them will turn on them and almost completely destroy them. The, the biblical text says the, the mighty Euphrates waters, and that's the great river in Assyria. And that those waters were known during the wet season to flood and spread everywhere. And God's prophet takes that analogy and he brings it over and says, the mighty Euphrates, Assyria, that you've trusted in, the waters are going to flow and it's going to come all the way up to the neck of you, Emmanuel. It's going to come almost completely smother you out because you trusted in them. That's what you get. You remember the old illustration of the little girl that was on a path heading toward home. She lived, she was going down a, a narrow mountain passage back to her cottage and the temperature was falling rapidly and she looks down and she sees a snake and it's just kind of stiff there in the cold. And the snake said, little girl, pick me up and just pick me up and put me under your cloak. If you just warm me up, that's all I want. And she picked him up. She put him under her cloak. About five, eight minutes passed, she felt the piercing pain of the veins of that poisonous viper in her side. And she yanked that snake off and threw it on the ground and said, I, I trusted you. You told me you just wanted me to warm you up. And the snake said, little girl, you knew what I was when you picked me up. King Ahaz knows what he's doing when he got out his iPhone and rang up Sennacherib in Assyria. I want to make an alliance. Will you protect us? Then he turns to destroy them. That's what happens 
If you're here today and you're not trusting Christ, you're not settled in your faith in Christ, then you're pushing the free gift away and you're embracing Assyria. And only destruction can follow that. Let's remind ourselves, God has not come among us for wrath and retribution, but in the fullness of grace. He comes to us in the fullness of love. He comes to us flying to us on wings of redemption. That's the Christmas story. The old songwriter wrote, He saw me plunged in deep despair and flew to my relief. For me, he bore the shameful cross and carried all my grief. When godly Simeon was at the temple and Jesus has been born a little while, but he's still a small infant and they bring Jesus to the temple for his dedication. And godly Simeon takes baby Jesus in his arms and he looks at Jesus. And as Luke chapter two, verse 30 says, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That baby is the salvation of God. And that baby is God with us. Early on in my ministry, we talked a lot about the plan of salvation, and I'm not saying that's totally wrong. It just mostly is. Brothers and sisters, our hearts and our focus does not need to be on the plan of salvation. It needs to be on the man of salvation. Simeon didn't look at Jesus and say, oh, the one that will teach us how to get there. He said, oh, the one that gets us there. I have seen the salvation of God. Powerful. So the wondrous, glorious Christmas message is this. God is with us. Wondrous, glorious message. God is with us. Not for judgment. Not for condemnation. But for salvation. If we'll just receive it. Now, some conclusions for practical application. How about that? Some CPAs. Now, this is just you and God, okay? It's just you and God are the only ones here right now. What is your Assyria? What is your Assyria? I think in, in proper typology here, we... I don't mean we struggle with various sins, and I, I, I didn't have the right attitude with my wife yesterday, and I should have done this with the teacher at school, whatever. And that's true. You've got to deal with those things. But Assyria means that one big thing that's taking the place in your life of God. Or too many of you parents, you're Assyria, your children. One day they're going to disappoint you. Someone said, when our babies are little, they stand on our toes. And when they're older, they stomp on our hearts. Sure, we love our babies with all of our hearts. But our joy is God. And our purpose is God. And our hope is God, not our children. Some of you think that you've gotten where you ought to be financially and you're just really in a good spot. And that's wonderful. Nothing wrong with that unless it becomes Assyria. God say, God, thank you for that bank account. Thank you for that savings account. Thank you for those investments. But Lord, I want to tell you I'm grateful for that, but you are my security and you are my hope and you are my joy. 
On and on we could go. What is that thing that you're looking to other than God? You say, well, pastor, we live in a real world and it's hard. No, it's no harder for you than it is anybody else. First Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. These are all just common things. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. With the temptation will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. That is not give yourself fully over to it. You may step toward it, but you're to be a repenter and get back out of it. And along your journey, businessman, wife, student, whoever, God to give you a little shaking to remind you. These things can be all taken away. Don't trust in Assyria. Trust in God, child of God. Number two, isn't your fear and anxiety due to misplaced trust? Someone said one time that anxiety and fear just indicates you're assuming responsibilities God didn't give you. You're assuming to take care of something, and that's not what God's assignment for you. So many of you take the clear teachings of Scripture for your place in life, and without even thinking about or knowing it, you just kind of check a few boxes off, say, I'm doing that. Now I'm going to get over here and pour my energies into what I like, Assyria. That's not trust. Trusting God is to pull your heart and energies and center in what God says your calling and role is. Husband, wife, mother, father, student, employer, employee. There's clear teachings here. If you trust God, you get excited about what God says to do, and your energies and your heart and your emphasis is there. But if God can get you just to give that a a wink and a nod, and then you go off to the things you're interested in, what you're saying is, I don't trust you, God. You're not smart enough. I know what I need to give my heart and energies to. That's Assyria. Not our fears and anxieties because of misplaced trust. Now, brothers and sisters, balance. We all have some fears, and we all have some anxieties, but we all must be repenters. Don't let something become a stronghold. I got to do you like he had to do King Ahaz. You know what the text tells us? The text tells us that God did destroy the Lord of the kingdom. God did destroy Syria. They didn't get him, but Assyria turned on him and ruined him. You keep embracing Assyria. Ruined is in your future. But here's the good thing about God. Are you listening? God's the God of the second chance and the third chance (laughs) and the fourth chance and the hundredth chance. It's not too late. You're not too old. Turn, repent of hoping in Assyria and say, God, I'm back to you. Matter of fact, that's the pattern of the Christian life. I just want some of you to quit being way, 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 way over here into Assyria. I want to catch you about right here. Get you repented back under God. I was going to spend some time in Philippians 4, 6, 7, and 8. And 
for Samuel 15, 22, but time is kind of short. But let me suffice it this way. Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What is he saying? Dwell on God. Look to God and what God has prescribed for you through his word. Spend your energies there and rejoice in God's roles for you, in God's will for you. Say, what's God's will? It's what's in the Bible. Rejoice in that and you won't have time to dwell on the stuff that ultimately is going to ruin you. You understand, child of God, he picked you out before eternity started. He wants you to be happy. And the only way to keep you happy is to keep you holy. Rejoice in him. Dwell on him, not on Assyria. By the way, Assyria was a filthy place, filthy and vile and immoral and perverse. Sounds like the United States of America, doesn't it? Our hope's not out there. Our home's not out there. Our security's not out there. Philippians 4, 6 reminds us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Being anxious for nothing means I am through with this worry and fear. I'm going to throw my faith on God and recommit myself to get out of my life the secondary. Maybe not evil. They're evil because I made them first. But secondary things, I'm pushing those aside. I'm going to commit again to rejoice in and trust what God's called me to be and do. And then I'm going to push the anxiety away. And then if something's troubling me still, I'm going to say, God, would you remove it by prayer with supplication, he says in Philippians 4. God, would you remove it? But if you do not, I'll rejoice in you through it. Philippians 4, 7. Go ahead and put that one up, guys. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you will walk in that pattern, God will give you the peace that the... Reason why it says it surpasses comprehension is because the people who don't know Christ and don't walk with him think you're crazy. How can you be happy when he's doing that to you? How can you be happy when she's done that to you? How can you be happy when your boss is this and that? Because you're not looking to him or her, the boss. You're looking to God. They're Assyria. You look to God. And he gives you a You see, here, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Too many of you have never got to the point where God could unleash on you the peace which surpasses comprehension. So you say, well, I don't have it. You've never gone far enough to get it. You've got salvation, but you don't have the peace of God that goes with it. Ahaz had to believe the prophet and not trust Assyria. Number three, Stop dishonoring God by trusting in Assyria. Are you a walking neon billboard that God has failed you? Are you a walking flashing sign that God has not taken care of you because you're whining and you're fearful and you're grumbling and you're anxious? That's just like saying to the world, I'm a Christian and God ain't what he said he was. That's what you're doing. Balance. There are times when brothers and sisters come to one another troubled and hurting. We need somebody to pray with us and just encourage us. Amen? 
Some of you have made a lifestyle pattern out of embracing Assyria and made a lifestyle pattern out of anxiety and fear and worry. And you are the billboard pronouncing God's inadequacies for you. Think about that, child of God. I'm preaching to Brother Jeff this morning too. I never preached to you that I don't preach to me. 2 Samuel 12, 14 is a good illustration of this. David's committed a public scandalous sin, and the prophet says, however, because by this deed you've given an occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The people who don't know God are now scoffing and laughing at our God because of your public display that God is what you've been living out, and he's not. Number four, last one, are you in the northern kingdom? You've got the label Christian. You do some external religious habits and motions. You're apostate. You're counterfeit. You're not yet truly saved. And God sends you the door of grace. God sends you the Christmas message. This child is God and it's God with us. Don't stop there. But he's with us not to condemn not to judge, but to save you. Turn to him. If you will not embrace the Christmas gift, the child given to you for salvation, then you must endure the wrath of the son at his return. Revelation six fifteen through 17. It's the same child that first came not to judge or condemn, but give us a free gift. He comes again, and here's what the text says. Revelation six fifteen. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders. You're a great man. You're going to be there if you're not saved. The commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man. What did they do? They hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. The great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? On this day, he's not God with us as a little baby given to save. On this day, he returns not in a cradle, but on a throne. Crush all those who rejected his free gift, salvation. So remember the Christmas message. God is with us. <laughs> not to judge, not to condemn. Can I get amen right there? But to save us. If you'll turn to him, turn to him in faith. Oh, you sinners, seek his grace whose wrath you cannot bear. Flee to the shelter of the cross and find salvation there. 